I'm Eileen Mancera, co-chair of PE Wins Communications Committee. For those of you joining for the first time, Moments That Made Her is a production of the Private Equity Women's Investor Network, also known as PE Win. We are the preeminent organization for senior-level women investment professionals in private equity. PE Win provides its members with opportunities to network, share ideas, make deep connections with peers, and empower each other to succeed. Our mission is to increase the profile of women in private equity, and our members represent institutions with over $3 trillion in assets under management. To learn more, please visit pewin.org. The host of Moments That Made Her is Kelly Williams. Many of you know Kelly as the founding chair of PEWIN, as well as the founder of the legendary private market solution business known as Customized Fund Investment Group, which she and her team grew to manage $30 billion of assets under management until she let it sail in 2014. She is the CEO of the Williams Legacy Foundation and serves on the board of Greenbrier Companies and chairs the board of the Smithsonian American Art Museum. Thank you for joining us for today's episode. Welcome to Moments That Made Her. I'm Kelly Williams, your host and the founding chair of the Private Equity Women Investor Network. And this is one of the most exciting podcasts we've done. And you'll quickly see why, but I'm thrilled, excited, over the moon to have as our guest today, Emily Mandel, the executive director of the Private Equity Women Investor Network. And that's news as of today. So we are absolutely thrilled and excited. And I'm so happy to see you, Emily. I am so excited to be here. I'm so excited to be on the podcast. I'm so excited to be here at PE Win, And it's going to be great. Yes, it is. And uh, if those of you who are listeners could see us right now, you would see I'm grinning ear to ear, as is the rest of the board of PE Win, because we are so excited that Emily has joined us and she's here to build on all the great success we've had to date. Uh, we're, I think, entering or will we, we will be entering year 19, believe it or not, of PE Win. And so there's just so many exciting things to come. But I like to start where we should start which is to ask you um, to tell us a little bit about how and where you grew up. Yeah, so interestingly enough, I grew up in a suburb of Philadelphia, which isn't interesting in and of itself, except that I grew up just a town away from where I live today. I really never left Philadelphia from the time I grew up as a child to going to college, and now I'm back here raising raised my family and am working from here. So I grew up in this middle-class suburb, and both my parents were teachers. My dad taught high school English. My mom taught preschool. I'm a middle child, and that probably says a lot about me. I have an older sister and a younger brother, and we all still live in the area today. So it was, it was really quite a, uh, quite a nice childhood. My parents did get divorced when I was 11, and that was pretty formative for me. We moved out. I, my brother and I moved out with my mom 
And my dad stayed in the house where we grew up. And it was only a short move, about 20 minutes away. But it really, it really changed the way I saw the world. And it really changed the way I learned how to, you know, support myself in terms of, you know, emotionally, in terms of financially. We didn't have a lot of money. Two teachers didn't make a lot of money to begin with. And then when when they split, as you can imagine, that money gets stretched even thinner. So it really was a tough time for a while, but we stayed close as a family and, you know, we did, we did our best. You know, it's interesting. We've heard this a number of times most recently. For those of you who have heard my conversation with Lauren Dillard, she talks about her parents divorcing when she was young. You know, what perspective did it give you on the role of women, the resilience of women? Yeah, it helped me see my mom, you know, more as a role model. You know, she had to support my brother and myself and, and my sister. She was she was still living with my father, but still had to support us. And, you know, she got a second job and she worked in a convenience store at nights so that we could have some of the things that we needed. And I watched her really do what she had to do to make sure that her family was okay. And I actually, even at a young age, tried to step into that role as well. I started working very young and I really felt like if I could contribute to the family dynamic, to the family upbringing, that that would, you know, make a difference. And it did make a difference. And I always felt very responsible, you know, to my family and to the people around me to make sure that everyone was okay, having watched my mother do that. Yeah, I think for so many of us, having a mom who really goes that extra mile and keeps the family together and keeps things going. And, you know, I think for those of us who were there for it, you know, it's not seamless. It's, you know, it's tough. It's emotional. But you realize you can do it. And I think that's something that women almost innately know. But it's also really interesting when you've actually had a woman model that for you yes. and show you that you can make it through. You can take care of yourself. I've often said, you know, I'm glad that I grew up in really modest circumstances because I know I can survive anything and I can keep living and I'll be fine. And, you know, I'm fortunate and blessed and grateful every day for the life I have now. But if if all that went away, I know I would be just fine. Yeah, no, 100 percent. And I. I really learned how to count on myself. I've been very lucky to be able to count on other people in my life. But knowing that you can count on yourself and knowing that at the end of the day, you know, you're going to be able to, to make it through some you know, more difficult times really, really helps you, you know, when you're moving forward in all types of, you know, challenging situations. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Well, so you mentioned, you know, as part of that self-reliance, you started working early. What, it, what was that job? Yeah. So I started my first job as a waitress and I started in high school. I worked at the Sizzler. I don't know if you have Sizzlers. Sizzler. Oh, yes, um, absolutely. And, and that's, that's a blast from the past. But you weren't actually like a full-blown waitress. Like you didn't take orders. Like people ordered at the register and then you had someone bring you your food. So I thought that was a good way to learn the waitressing business. And so I, I started at the Sizzler and then I upgraded to the ground round. <laughs> remember it well. Remember it well. Um, and, you know, that was really 
quite an experience for me. I learned a lot about communications. Actually, everything I learned about communications, I learned waitressing because you could always make a bad situation better through communications. And I feel like if the kitchen was slow or there was something going wrong, all you had to do is, is walk up to your customer and say, I'm sorry. I know there's something wrong here. Let me make it up to you. I'm on top of this. I'm going to make sure you get your food as soon as, as possible. But, you know, I want you to know that I'm on it. And whenever you did that, the problems seemed to go away. And people felt like they could rely on you to get your particular job done. And, and then at the end of the day, you were, were rewarded for it with, you know, a nice tip. Mm-hmm. No, I, I agree with you. First of all, I always tell people, you have to look at every interaction as a public relations opportunity, regardless of who it is, right? Like whether it's the janitor or it's the CEO, because those people can then turn around and talk about what their experience with you was, right? And you just never know when that's going to come back to benefit you or bite you if you haven't handled it well. But I, I agree with you. One of the things I learned in my career was that sometimes naming the problem first before the other side does or acknowledging it or taking responsibility for it actually is very disarming. And so it gives less of an opportunity for people to complain if you acknowledge the problem before they have to tell you there's one. Yep, 100%. And I also think that you know, no one whether you're working, whether you're a waitress or you're in private equity or whatever job you're doing, no one should ever wonder what's happening. Nobody should ever wonder if you're doing your job. Never create that vacuum where people can fill their minds with, you know, the worst. And if you are communicating, maybe even a little bit over communicating, nobody can ever accuse you of not getting things done. So, so I'm a big communicator, and I, I really did learn that very early on. Well, that's great because PEWIN loves to communicate, and anybody who can help us do that more and better is, is very welcome. So talk a little bit for our listeners about how you made your way to private equity. Yeah, so it's an interesting story, and I really feel like there's a, there's a PEWIN element of my career journey to private equity and, and through private equity into this point now, which is super special and really demonstrates the power of the PE Win network. So I'll, I'll tell you a, a very quick history of my career, and I'm, I'm going to name some names along the way, which I think will be interesting. So I went to the University of Pennsylvania. I graduated from Wharton. And at the time, I decided I was go- going to go to the investment banking route because everybody at Wharton goes to the investment banking route and everyone gets caught up in that fervor and you go to the super days and you get your offers. And I actually wound up getting an offer from Drexel Burnham Lambert to go to New York. And this was 1990. So that date or that year may probably mean something to you because as you might guess, three weeks after I got my offer, Drexel went under. Yes, I, I remember it well. And so I remember catching a a news story and seeing people carrying boxes out of their office. And I caught one of the women who interviewed me, actually one of the people walking out of the office with a box. And and it freaked me out a little bit. And I decided that maybe this investment banking route might not be for me. 
And I had an offer from an internship I had done my junior year at the Philadelphia National Bank in their commercial credit trading program. So I said, I'm going to stay in Philly. I'm going to do this maybe less sexy, less prestigious two-year training program in commercial credit. But this feels right to me and this feels safe to me. And I had met you know, many people during my junior year at, at this bank and I, I liked it. So I, I went to work there and partnered with an older analyst who was you know, there to help the younger analysts. And that was Adele Cerrone, who eventually <laughs> became Adele Oliva. And Adele was one of my first mentors. She's only a few years older than me. But she had been there before and, and was just an excellent, excellent mentor and friend. And again, Another dedicated Philadelphia girl. Yes. And I was at the training program for a number of years. I completed the training program and I found another mentor within the organization, a gentleman named Bill Fenimore, who went off to create a company that was a consortium of 18 banks, IBM and Visa. And the idea is that they were going to create the first home banking network, shared home banking network. The company was called Integrion. It was this big joint venture. It was very well publicized. And one of our board members at the time was an executive from Bank of America and Ventures, and that was Kate Mitchell. And I met Kate Mitchell in 1995, and she sat on our board and was a fantastic board member. Not surprisingly, Integrion did not move forward in the way that all the banks and IBM and Visa hoped it would. The banks couldn't get along in terms of what features this new banking platform would have. IBM was, you know, slower to deliver than we had hoped. And ultimately, they took the company internal. IBM absorbed the technology. The banks went off and they all did their own things. But at the time, I had taken the job within Integrion as their head of communications because there was nobody else to do it. I was the, the second employee. And Bill said to me, you know, hey, all the press they're calling about what we're doing. Just go answer the phone and, and deal with it. And I said, okay. And he said, no, I, and you like to write. So, you know, write, write some of the press releases. And, and I did all those things. And we hired a PR agency. And when Integrion went under, that PR agency hired me uh, to come work with them. And they were a New York-based financial boutique PR agency. And I started with them the year after Integrion disbanded. And one of their first clients that they put me on, or one of the first projects that I bid on was to represent the National Venture Capital Association. And this was 2000, 2001, when the venture capital industry was in the process of being vilified for the dot-com bust. And we came in with a proposal on how to help insulate the venture capital industry from that type of a uh, negative publicity. And it's interesting that you had mentioned before about naming the problem. That was our pitch. We came in to represent the NBCA is we need to do a mea culpa here. We need to say that, yes, irrational exuberance is a thing and venture capital industry made mistakes and we will never scale to a point that is not sustainable ever again. And we did. We won the business. We got the, the account and that's what we did. And then we went on to talk about all the good things that venture capital does for the economy and worked, you know, producing research, producing advocacy pieces, and wound up representing the venture capital industry quite well during a time that could have been quite perilous. And so 
that's where I, you know, entered into venture capital. And lo and behold, Kate Mitchell showed up on our board, other venture capitalists. You know, I, I had the opportunity to meet who sat on our board of directors. And these, you know, I think venture capital and private equity investment is so fascinating. And it's really some of the smartest people that I've ever met play those roles and look to those businesses and really work to create value, whether it's from a startup or whether it's from a, you know, a later stage company. I've uh, really learned so much from from those individuals. So I was at the NBCA working as a consultant and then their head of communications left. And I said, wow, I really would like this role. And so I joined the NBCA on staff in 2004 and was there until 2013 at which time there was a change in leadership and I decided to go work for a venture firm. So I went to work for Terry McGuire, who was the founder of Polaris Partners in mm -hmm. Boston, an early stage biotech and technology venture firm. And I was there for three years, raised some money alongside of one of our trusted placement agents. And that was Denning and Company. And that's where I met Jill Kinsaki. And worked with Jill and worked with Polaris for three years, but missed association life. And at that point, there was a job opportunity to be the first head of communications for the Institutional Limited Partners Association. And I jumped at that chance because I really did want to advocate within the PE industry again. And I thought advocating for the LP would be a really interesting change of pace, different side of the table, but really still being a strong proponent of private equity. And so I was at uh, Philpa for a little over three years. And there I met so many wonderful LPs, including Dana Johns. And then after about three years, I said, you know, I've never really worked in Philadelphia. I've never really worked close to my home. I've always worked remotely and then traveled to wherever I needed to go. And so, you know, maybe it's time for me to spend a little time in the Philadelphia area. And I was also interested in learning more. At some point in your career, you feel like, okay, what's the next mountain to climb? What's the next bear I can wrestle? You know, I can do my job very well, but I'm not necessarily learning anything. And I am a big believer in the growth mindset. So there was a real estate investment firm and the CEO of that firm, which was Center Square Investment Management, was a gentleman named Todd Burdell, who I had gone to college with and went in to see him. And they were also looking to grow their marketing communications practice. So I said, I'm going to learn real estate and I'm going to do it at this firm. And I joined that firm and was there for you know another three and a half years, learned all about real estate, which was far more fascinating than I ever thought it would be. And then I got the call about the PE win opportunity. And here we are. And of course, going back to the beginning of your story, that call came from Adele. It came from Adele. And I, you know, it's it's a funny thing, but you just remember, I remember exactly how I feel. It was, you know, several months ago, but I was literally sitting in a chair getting my toenails done. And I get the call from Adele and I called her right back because I, you know, hadn't heard from Adele in, you know, a few years. And she always has interesting things to say. So I picked up the phone. I called her. And she says, I think I might have a, a job that, you know, might be interesting to you. And usually, you know, we, we get these calls all the time. 
from recruiters and others. And it's very rarely something that I would truly be interested in. And she said, well, you know, we're looking for the next executive director of PEWIN. And my heart just soared. And, yeah. and I said, yes, I want to talk to you about this. And, I, and we, we were on the phone that afternoon. And I hung up the phone with her. And I, I called my husband. And I said, yeah, I, I think I just got a call about my dream job. I love that. Well, I'm glad that's your response because sometimes I get a call from Adele, which I'm, like you, I always I always take those calls. Often they're like, "So, when are you going to run for office?" And you know, and I I always say to her, "I thought you were my friend. Like, don't wish that on me. I I don't want to go into politics." But we we talk about politics a lot. But anyway, I'm glad that was your reaction and your response. And obviously, we're we're really delighted. And what an interesting path. I always tell people, particularly young people, when I talk to them, don't expect a linear path. If, if you want to follow a linear path, you're going to have a pretty boring career. But if you kind of take the opportunities when the doors open, if it feels good, you know, trust your gut. And that's clearly what you did. You end up having a really interesting career and it brings you to what is hopefully your dream job. Yes, I think that it is. And I couldn't agree more. Every job that I've taken a lot of the way has been because of someone who I've known or somebody who I've met or there had to be a reason for me to make a move. And usually it was about the people. The job is important and I would never suggest going into a job that you weren't interested in doing just because there was an interesting person there. But, the, you know, at the end of the day, it really is the people who make your career what it is and make your experience what it is. And I, I think that's entirely the premise of PEWIN. And yeah, I'm, I'm just thrilled to be here. Yeah, well, that is. I mean, I think the thing that those of us who have made it to the senior ranks of the industry know is that, you know, it, it really is about the people. It's the people who advocate for you. It's the people who sing your praises when you're not in the room. It's the people who are watching out for you and looking for opportunities like this one and know to refer it to the right person. And it's also the people who stand in your way and it's the people who disappoint you and it's the people who betray you. I mean, every one of those things, no matter how joyful or painful they are, you learn something from it and you don't make it to the senior ranks of any organization unless you are experiencing both sides of that. Yeah, I think... I'm, I'm sure it was Maya Angelou, the quote about, you know, you won't remember what people said to you, but you'll always remember how they made you feel. Yeah. And our memories are long <laughs> and yeah. that works up on both sides. Right. The other thing that I, you know, I have had to learn over the years, but I completely subscribe to from her is that, you know, when people show you who they are, believe the first time. Yes. It's rarely wrong. It's rarely wrong. I, I, I still have people in my life or who aren't in my life, but who multiple, multiple times let me down. I just kept letting them back. And there's one person who still is trying to get back. Every time I turn around, there's someone that this person has reached out to. And I'm like, yeah, it's, it's not happening this time. No yeah. way. I'm all worried. about second chances. I, I will give someone a second chance. I think people make mistakes. I've made mistakes. And I think you, you give someone a, a second chance and then, yeah. And then but if they, if they blow that one, then oh, forget it. Exactly. 
Well, so, you know, along this theme of kind of making it to the senior ranks of any organization, are there particular turning points when you think you kind of made that quantum leap, you made that that step to being a senior person? I mean, now you're an executive director, you're leading an organization, you know, talk a little bit about, you know, what are the, what were kind of inflection points for you? Sure. Well, so one of them was, I mentioned it briefly earlier, was that moment at Integrion when I was the number two employee and there were maybe three or four employees sitting in that office. And the CEO said, Emily, you're good at this, go do this. And I had no roadmap. I had no idea what I was getting into, but I did it. And, um, and I felt like I could do it. And I asked a lot of questions and I um, listened a lot to how other people did it. And, um, and knowing that someone believes in you is a tremendous feeling of power. Even if you can still be scared, you can still worry about whether you're going to get it right. But having someone behind you that says, I know you can do this, um, really, really meant a lot and really uh, pushed me. So I would probably have not gone into, you know, senior level communications, you know, because the communications were very complex around Integrion. And because I was kind of plucked for that role, I developed an aptitude and a passion for communicating things that were hard to put on the back of a bumper sticker. So, and I said, oh, I really like this. I like complex messages that need to resonate with audiences of varying levels of sophistication. And I'm going to give this a go. And what I found along the way is not a lot of people like doing that. In fact, very few people like doing that. You know, a lot of people say, I hate to write. I'm a terrible writer. Or I'm so glad you're doing this because I, I really don't want to do that. And I, I love doing it. So I think that moment where somebody believed in me and then I said, oh, I'm actually pretty good at this. And not a lot of people want to do it open this path before me um, that I just, you know, sprinted into. And, you know, when I moved on to the NVCA, there were so many opportunities to communicate those complex messages because we were working with Congress and we were working on, you know, legislation that we either didn't want to see pass because it was going to hurt entrepreneurship and innovation or legislation we did want to see pass because it was, you know, going to support investors and capital formation. And it it really allowed me to find my niche and, you know, working on things like the Jobs Act. And I worked on that very closely with Kate Mitchell and getting that Jobs Act passed in Congress so that more companies could go public. I've been sitting in the Rose Garden of the White House for the for the bill signing. You know, that was that was a pinnacle. That was a highlight. And I really felt like I had found my calling and found my purpose. And, you know, I'm just so grateful that there have been opportunities to apply that, you know, throughout my career. Yeah, I think that's great. I, you know, it's interesting you say that because, you know, it's so often that people don't really like to communicate. They don't, they don't like to do public speaking. They don't want to be the bearer of bad news. A lot of junior people, they don't want to, you know, they want to go on pitches. They, 
And I always say to people, no, 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 those are the things you absolutely should do because anybody can run, you know, an LBO model. Not everybody can communicate. And that's the most powerful thing you can learn as a professional in our industry is how to communicate. Yeah. And I know that some of the best communicators still don't like to do it, but they've gotten good at it. And it's a muscle. It's absolutely Mm -hmm. a muscle. And the more you write, the stronger that muscle you know, becomes and the more you speak, same thing. So it's 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 not rocket science, but it is a it is a skill that I, I agree hundred percent, you know, needs to be nurtured. Well, so tell me, is there a time in your career when you've been particularly uh meant to felt aware of the fact that you were a woman? Yes, but it's it's probably not what most people have shared with you. I when I attended the first Women in Private Equity Summit in half the day, and I, I, at the time I was with the NBCA and, you know, Beth Fox was putting on these amazing conferences and it was what it is in the early days. So it was probably one of the first one or two conferences that they had held. And I was in this room of, at the time, it was probably three to 400 women. I know that conference just grew in incredible leaps and bounds, but and I'm sure you were there, Kelly. I, you know, I was there. Yeah, I'm sure you were there. And I spent, you know, it was a two and a half day conference and I just spent the whole conference with, you know, with a, just a different energy level and a different feeling. And, you know, we've all been to all of these you know, private equity and venture capital congress conferences in our career. And, you know, they're all they're all pretty, you know, serious, serious events. And, you know, there are panels and you go from event to event and you have your breakfast and you sit down and you talk and you network. And this conference felt different. And it felt different not only because they closed the men's bathroom, because they didn't need it. And we all use we all use the men's bathroom, but everybody smiled at one another and everybody during the network happy hour came up and introduced themselves and I really felt like everybody there was in it for everybody else and it did not feel competitive it did not feel you know overly business-like although the only thing we talked about was business I remember and you'll remember this too there were no panels about being a woman no it was strictly business and it was you know there could have been men there and they would have gotten a lot out of it but there weren't and consequently I got just an incredible feeling of camaraderie and I left there feeling so refreshed and energized and and then we all go back to you know reality and then you just want more and I'm like how how can I have this experience more often and so I, I would show up at every conference after that and really look forward to them. Yeah, absolutely. You you really kind of nailed it. And I think that's a common feeling we all had when we went, you know, started going. I was at the first one and I've been at just about every single one. It is a different energy. It's it's a different experience when, you know, the most powerful people in the room are women and they're not making you feel excluded they're not making you feel hierarchy they're not making it you feel like they're looking over your shoulder for someone more important to talk to you know it's 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 exactly what you say people are 
it's the one conference I go to where I'm genuinely happy to see people. And, you know, I don't feel like I'm being overwhelmed or, you know, kind of zoomed constantly as a limited partner. And it is definitely a very different feeling. Now, I, you know, it's, it's pretty big and it's different. And I think maybe there's a little bit of a different ethic there, but I think the kernel of it still exists. But I think what you're talking about is the fact that it was such a new feeling. Yeah. Right? Because we hadn't felt that way before. No, and we haven't had that opportunity before. That opportunity to gather together like-minded women, you know, for the purpose of supporting one another and doing good business. You know, I left there saying, imagine what would happen if this was the only way we did business and how much would get done. Not to, not to disparage any of, you know, our male brethren, because I've worked with, you know, lots of really talented people over the course of my career. But wow, when, when women get together, stuff gets done. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Well, we're going to take a quick break. Uh, I hope you all have been enjoying my conversation with Emily Mandel, the new executive director of the Private Equity Women Investor Network. And we'll be back shortly. We would also like to take a brief break to thank P.E. Wynn's founding sponsors, Kane Anderson Real Estate and KPMG, as well as our platinum sponsor, TPG. If you're interested in sponsorship opportunities, please contact us at info at pewin.org. Now back to today's guest. Welcome back to Moments That Made Her. I'm here today with my very special guest, Emily Mandel, who's the new executive director of the Private Equity Women Investor Network. And we are having a fantastic conversation. And I wanted to ask you, is there something that stands out to you as a particularly fun or creative moment in your career? It's a great question. I try and be creative in everything that I do. And I'm sure there, there, are, there are many moments that where I feel like what, either by myself or with a team of people, we approached a problem or a situation and, and got it a solution in a different manner than what was expected. I think one of the moments that I think stands out is my last year at the NVCA. And we have an annual meeting every year. And the annual meeting had gotten a little, a little stale. People showed up and it was always a good annual meeting. We always left feeling like that was, that was a good meeting and everyone really got a lot out of it. But we really wanted to shake it up. And so I was tasked with trying to do something a little bit different. And I got together with some of our board members at the time. One of our board members was Jason Mendelson. He was with the Foundry Group. And he and I re-envisioned the annual meeting. And we did a number of things that year that were brand new. We did office hours for entrepreneurs, which today sounds like, oh, that's not new. But back then it, it was somewhat new. We brought in, you know, a hundred entrepreneurs to meet with our, our members and get advice. And we partnered with American Airlines and they actually flew these entrepreneurs into San Francisco. 
we had a, a concert at the Fillmore in San Francisco. So rather than just having this the standard old cocktail party, we we got the lead singer from from Train to come and do a concert for us. We promoted the conference via video, and we had all of these really silly videos that uh, you know inspired people to come to the conference. And and there was a new energy level that year, and it was a nice swan song for me because I, I left the following year. But it you know it allowed us to think outside the box. It allowed us to gather people together and you know inject new energy into something that still had value, but maybe just needed a little different approach. And yeah, it, it was it was a huge success. Love that. Well, I think um, that's something that will stand you in very good stead with PE Win. I mean, we are always excited to see each other, but uh, the innovations that we keep implementing over the years, particularly at our annual meetings, I think reinvigorate everybody. And even though we've been around for 19 years, we're still really excited and still learning and still absolutely thrilled to get together. So we're looking forward to uh, all that creativity and fun that you're going to bring to our organization. You know, one of the things I, I always want to talk about is, you know, love sharing successes, but all of us make mistakes sometimes, or maybe things don't go the way that we, we hope. And often that's where we learn the most. Is there something that stands out to you that, you know, really was sort of a teachable moment in your career? Yes, I've had many teachable moments. I think, you know, one of the things that I'll talk about is something that I'm still working on today. And that is, you know, I think I, I'm a people pleaser. I've always been a people pleaser. And, you know, nothing makes me happier than coming through for someone. And, you know, give me, give me the hardest project. Give me something that you really don't want to do. Let me do that for you. Let me help you. I think I'm a, I'm a helper on the model. But, but consequently, because of that, I very rarely say no. I very rarely say no to things that I really should say no to. And consequently, I will take on a lot. Sometimes I will take on too much. And even though I always get it done, because I will always get it done, I will, I'll pull an all-nighter, I'll do whatever it takes to not disappoint people, I'll burn out. Or I won't feel good about it. Or, you know... You'll resent it. Or I'll resent it, which is the worst. And so what I, what I have promised myself to do you know, in, in more recent years, because I, I've known this about myself for quite some time, but, you know, more recently, I had a friend say to me, you know what I'm going to do this year? I'm going to say, make sure that I say yes and mean it and say no and mean it. Because all too often, we do the opposite. We say yes when we really don't want to do something. And we say no when we actually really want to do something. So checking myself when there are these moments where I need to make a decision about how I'm going to engage with someone whether it's personally or professionally, being more mindful, I think is really going to, you know, ha has helped and will continue to help. So, you know, my, my latest, my latest mantra, if it's not a hell yes, it's a hell no. And <laughs> <laughs> oh, I love that. That's, that sounds like a t-shirt to me. I know. And, uh, <laughs> and that may or may not, you know, work in its entirety. And, you know, coming here to PE Win. I'm incredibly cognizant that is going to be a, a important skill for me as the executive director because there is so much opportunity with 
our membership and our network and our influence and our impact. And we could go, I mean, you know, this is my first week here and I already see a hundred different directions we could go in in the next year. And they're all great directions and they would all be meaningful to someone. But it's so important for us to collectively come together and decide where we're going to have the most impact, what we're going to do and what we're not going to do. Even if, it, even if we really want to do that thing over here, we, we, we have to be smart and we have to use our resources you know, smartly. So I hope that teaching that mantra is going to hold us in good stead. Yeah, no, I think it will. I mean, I, it's, I have gotten to that point as well where I just said, look, I, I kind of need to be a little selfish. And it's, it's not my normal setting to say no. But, but the thing is, if you're good at what you do, particularly if you're very good at coming through for people, that means it's just more going to come at you. As, as one of my former bosses used to say, the reward for good work is more work. Yep. And so if people know they can rely on you to get things done for them or do things for you, you know, out of no ill will, they'll just keep asking, right? That's sort of a natural setting for people. And so sometimes you have to set boundaries for yourself. I find I need to do that just for my own creativity. Like if I'm so busy on everybody else's projects, it doesn't leave room for, for my projects. And I think that's kind of what you're saying is, you know, you need to make sure that you're saying yes to the things that are the most impactful and where you're really, you know, you can come through in a big way because you can get bogged down. I mean, one of the things you, I'm sure, learned very quickly about Pete Wynn is we are an incredibly creative bunch. And, you know, we are all entrepreneurs and we all see opportunity everywhere and we know how good you are at execution. So, so I think you're at, your instincts are right. You, you know, I think what we're all looking for is for you to put those guide guard drills up and, you know, make sure we, we are all in agreement about what's the most impactful thing we can do with the resources we have. So the final thing I want to ask you, if we haven't covered it, is, is there anything that you can think of in your life, either your personal life, your professional life that really changed you. That was sort of that, I call it the Oprah aha moment. Yeah. Another great question. Back when I was in college, I went into college and I was going to be an English major. I was sure I was going to be an English major. I love to read. I love to write. And I just, you know, I, I got there my freshman year and I started taking English classes. And then my friends, you know, started saying, you know what, we're all going to transfer to Wharton because if you transfer to Wharton, you're definitely going to get a job when you get out of college and you definitely are going to, you know, be successful. And, and we're all doing that. And you, you should do that with us too. And so many things that happen in our lives, you know, looking back, you know, you couldn't have planned that. You couldn't have said, you know, this is going to happen to me. But I said, okay, you know, these are my friends. They wouldn't steer me wrong. I'm going to transfer to Wharton with them. And I never thought that I would be a business person. I never thought that that was going to be my path. But I, I did transfer to Wharton. And I think I was motivated by the idea that I would, I would be in well, I would be well suited to get a job when I got out of college. And because I come from a background of not having a lot of money and always having to, you know, kind of scrape by and never feeling like there was enough 
money to do the things that, you know, I wanted to do or my family wanted to do. I thought that that was going to be super important. So I did that. And turns out I really liked finance and I really liked numbers and applied that, you know, love of numbers to being able to communicate about numbers. So I somehow married the two together. And, you know, that that interaction that I had with my friends about doing that, you know, there's just a good a chance that that didn't happen. And you and I would not be sitting here today. Mm -hmm. And so, well, it wasn't an Oprah moment or an aha moment. It was a critical moment um, where it, this one interaction changed the course of my trajectory and, and brought me, you know, to a, a completely different place than I might have might have not been otherwise. You know, it's it's interesting as you talk about that. I couldn't help but think about the partnership that PE Win has now with girls who invest. And of course, you know, it's interesting for you to say, like, it didn't even occur to you to pursue that career, partly because we as women at that period of time and even today, we're not socialized to think about finance as a career. And so you know, it, it, I mean, maybe it was inevitable, but I know from, I, I've told the story before, you know, I always thought I was going to be a lawyer. I was a lawyer. I went to law school. I practiced as a lawyer. And so when somebody asked me to move to the business side, I was like, what? Like I've spent my whole life preparing to be this. But yeah, it's, it's when you do that pivot and like you pivoted when you went to Integrion that really, you know, what your true calling is opens up for you and you get to use all those skills. So I love that, that example. Well, so now I want to move to what's one of my favorite parts, which is our lightning round. Uh, I'm just going to hit you with some questions and, you know, just respond, whatever comes to mind. The first thing is, is there a great book that you've read or listened to recently? Yes. So I just finished Tom Lake by Ann Patchett and I will, I don't, I don't typically buy hardback books, but I will buy anything of hers the minute it comes out. And she is such a beautiful writer and she just has the, this way with words and these gentle surprises that come in everything that she does. And it's about a Michigan farmer um, and her life before she had children. I don't know if you've had a chance to. I haven't read it, but I, I agree with you. I'm a big Ann Patchett fan and that one's been on my list. Yeah. Um, the one that I want to read is, is Trust which is about kind of, you know, the novel about uh, the history of finance and kind of different people and their perspectives. I don't know if you watched the CBS Sunday mornings, but the author was on there and he just speaks so beautifully. I can't wait, wait to read his written word. Yeah. Yeah. I can just, you know, I, I see it. there are books that you savor. The books that you read in there, there are books that you savor. And, you know, typically I, I, enjoy the ones where I can just like pour over every word and be like, oh, I wish I wrote that. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, so what's your cell phone wallpaper? So having listened to all these podcasts, I know a lot of people have people on their cell phone wallpaper or their nieces. You have your nieces and nephews or, or kids. I actually have a picture of a beach from my favorite place in the whole world. There's a tiny island in the Bahamas where we go and vacation with my family. And it's called Long Island, different than Long Island, New York. And it's this beautiful blue water and white sand. And it's my happy place. And we've been back several times. And whenever I set my eyes on that, I am immediately relaxed. Yeah, I, I totally get that. I, and 
to find your happy place. I'm a big Finding Nemo fan, and I often repeat that line from Dory. In fact, one of the gals who worked in my office framed the scene when Dory is saying, find your happy place, uh, or, or in Finding Nemo when, um, uh, no, I guess it's Allison Janney's character. She's the starfish, and she says, find your happy place. But yeah, my, it's funny. I, my husband rarely has a photograph. Certainly, it's never of me. It's always of like either our dog or when we went on safari, it's an animal or it's something else. But yeah, it's, I find it interesting to see what people have on, on their, their wallpaper. So if you had a career other than private equity, what would it be? If I knew I could have a career and not fail at it, I would love to be a writer. I do have you know a history of writing. I've, I've done a, a fair amount of nonfiction narrative. I had a blog for many years back when mommy blogging was a thing. And I really enjoyed writing to resonate with people about your personal experiences, things as a parent, things as a woman, things as a professional woman. So I would love to, you know, I would have loved to have been a writer and a published writer, particularly. Nothing makes me happier when I write something and people say, I really felt what you wrote or I really love what you wrote. Great. Well, there's still, that's still a possibility. We'll have to see. Yeah. Um, so are you a dog or a cat person? I am both. I know you are both. I um, am both. I am both too. And um, so right now we, I have two cats, Fenway and Ruggles. But, Fenway, wait a second. You're a Philadelphian. So my husband is a longtime New Englander. He grew up in Rhode Island. And so he let me get the cats if I let him name the cats. So so Fenway, obviously, you know, Fenway and Ruggles is a surf point right on the beaches in Newport where he grew up. And so so we have those two cats, but we only got the cats because my dear beloved dog that was a pug died two years ago in November of, of old age. And boy, I mm -hmm. love that dog. So, um, yes, we uh, we've had both. We love both. Cats are a little bit easier to take care of. So I'm, I'm embracing the cats these days. Mm hmm. Yeah, no, I'm with you on that. So what's the best piece of advice you've been given? So the best piece of advice I've been given and I use all the time and I pass along all the time is wait to worry. You can say that almost in every instance. I think we all live with a fair amount of anxiety and angst being in the careers that we're in. And I know we all like to predict risk and what could happen and that what that's what makes us good at what we do. But I think that worrying is in large part not a great use of energy. And I always tell people when they're coming to me with, what if this happens? What if that happens? Just wait. Cause you know, it's okay to do scenario planning, but don't don't wring your hands and don't fret about things. Cause in the end it's all gonna be okay. And if it's not okay, it's not the end. And I think that's has served me well. And I do remind myself of that often, that there's there's time to fret and it, it's not now. I think that's great advice. It's a great kind of snappy way to put it. Uh, in my experience, I think what you learn when you've been around for a long time is it's never as bad as you think it is in the moment. With rare exception, things usually work out. Most time, you know, 99% of the time things work. And as you say, you know, why worry about it? Why scenario plan it? Why, you know, keep yourself up at night? I think so many of us do that. But 
I think that's a great note to end on. I think that, you know, you have brought great energy and insight and sage wisdom to this interview. And I think it's going to really be reflected in your tenure as our amazing executive director. I'm so delighted that you joined me today, Emily. Uh, all of us at PE Win are excited that you've joined us as our executive director. Well, thank you. And I can't wait to get started. And I can't wait for all the great things we're going to do together. Me too. Well, thanks again for being on Moments That Made Her, my guest, Emily Mandel, the new executive director of the Private Equity Women Investor Network. Thank you for joining us for today's episode of Moments That Made Her. I'm Scotty Wardell, co-chair of the PE Win Communications Committee. As a reminder, the content in this recording is for general information purposes only and does not constitute advice. We give no assurance or warranty regarding accuracy, timeliness, or applicability of any of the contents of this recording. This recording is provided as is and PE Win expressly disclaims any and all warranties expressed or implied to the extent permitted by law. Except where acknowledged, the copyright and all intellectual property rights in all material in this recording are owned by PE Win and our affiliates and should not be reproduced without our prior written consent. Other organizations or brand names used within this recording are for identification purposes only. The content set forth in this recording may not be sold, reproduced, or distributed without PE Win's prior written consent. Any third-party trademarks, service marks, and logos are the property of their respective owners. Any further rights not specifically granted herein are reserved. Thank you again for joining us today, and we hope you tune in for another episode soon.